There's no place like it in Indiana. Only at the Indianapolis <laughs> Zoo. Where you can get up close with wild animals from all corners of the globe. Or watch the next baseball big leaguer crank one out of the park. or jam out with some of the best musicians in the world. World-class entertainment all in one place. White River State Park, a popular cultural destination in downtown Indianapolis, driving big bucks into the economy. We find out what's next for this Hoosier Hotspot on the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. White River State Park has been part of the Indiana landscape now for more than 35 years. First attraction to open, the Indianapolis Zoo in 1988. Then came the Idle Jorg Museum, Victory Field, the NCAA Hall of Champions, the Indiana State Museum, and the TCU Amphitheater. Now the park is looking to the future and how it fits into the evolution of the near west side of downtown Indianapolis. And I'm pleased to be joined on the podcast by Jake Oakman, Jake, the executive director at White River State Park. Jake, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Hey, I was doing a little research, and you, you've come kind of full circle in your job leading White River State Park. Your first job in Indianapolis was at White River State Park over at uh, Victory Field, right? Yeah, that was, I mean, I'm a big baseball fan, so that was kind of a dream come true to have my first sort of career-oriented job. I'd worked in Macy's and done some part-time work, but to have my first full-time career-focused job be at a, at a baseball stadium, have it be here in, in White River State Park with the Indianapolis Indians, uh, and that was a pretty special experience. And then coming back to lead the park for the last 12 months, you know, some of the same friends that I worked with uh, during those three seasons are still with the fee- with the ball club. So it's it's neat to be able to work with them again. What is it? I, I, I know a big part of it is is the management and the Schumachers. But, you, you, you know, I look at Victory Field and it looks almost the same as it did the day it opened in terms of, uh, <laughs> you know, clean and sharp mm-hmm. and just a great, great venue. It really is. And in many ways, uh, Max Schumacher and the the family were sort of sports in Indianapolis before Indianapolis became the sports town that it's known for today. And if you look at Victory Field, it surprises people that it's almost 30 years old. I mean, I think the first season, I think it opened in July of 96. When I worked there, we celebrated the 10 year anniversary. So that might give you an idea of how old I am and, and how long ago I worked there. But it's almost a 30 year old ballpark and it doesn't feel like that at all. And what I think is special is if, if you look at from 96 to today, nearly every minor league ballpark that's been built since then and some major league ballparks too have looked at Victory Field and have looked at the Indians as sort of a model for how they're going to construct their stadiums. And still with all that new stadium construction and some of the realignments in the minor leagues, Victory Field is is consistently ranked as the best minor league ballpark experience in the entire country. So they don't rest on their laurels, and the, the staff there takes a lot of pride. From Randy Lewandowski on down, takes a lot of pride in the fan experience and the upkeep of that ballpark. 
What does Victory Field mean to White River State Park? I think a lot of people wouldn't realize it's really technically right part of of the park. Mm -hmm. I mean, they know the relationship there, but what does it mean uh, to White River State Park to have a, a venue, to have a place like like Victory Field? I mean, it's it's special to have that, and I think that is one thing a lot of people don't realize that White River State Park is is greater than the green spaces and the concert venue. It is Victory Field. It is the zoo. It's the Idle Jorg. It's Military Park. And it really is in Victory Field is a perfect example. It's this collection of world-class assets that are the best at what they do. I mean, Victory Field is the best minor league ballpark in the country. The zoo is the best privately funded zoo and conservation organization in the country. The Idle Jorg is the biggest and most important collection of Native American art and culture in the country. And all, all those things, the, you know, the Indiana State Museum protects and and preserves Indiana's treasures. And all those things are right here in White River State Park. So it certainly elevates the park and it's sort of the old expression, the the um, whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And to have a ballpark like Victory Field here just adds to the, really just elevates what White River State Park is in the community. Interesting, the uh, the evolution of White River State Park, uh, been around long enough. Uh, I, I know 1979, I think technically is when the legislature created essentially White River State Park, the zoo, the first venue there in 1988, I believe. So I was I was covering news in Indianapolis back then, and I can remember all kinds of thoughts about what the park would become. The 750-foot Indiana Tower, uh, Knott's Berry Farm interested in, mm-hmm. in uh, doing something there. So there were a lot of thoughts, fits and starts. Can you touch on to give us folks who may not know perspective on on kind of the the early days of White River State Park and what the vision was back then. Yeah, I mean, I think the vision was there was on this side of downtown Indianapolis, it was pretty much some abandoned industrial and just unused buildings and some park or some city visionaries had the idea of building this cultural asset right on the edge of downtown. Obviously, a lot of that stuff predates me, but I've seen some of the original visioning plans and idea plans and even still to this day, everyone has an interest in the park and and has ideas about what we should do next or what we could do better, what we could do to to really elevate the park, you know, for 2023 and beyond. But it is kind of cool to, to see some of the before and after pictures from the 60s or 70s before Washington Street was rerouted, before some of the before some of the industrial buildings were removed. And just, you know, see how this space has evolved into the this 250-acre park that it is today. Talk about the park and its role in tourism in, in Indiana. I know you spent some time in the Indiana Office of Tourism Development. I think you were key to creating a branding campaign. One thing I've always been curious about is why Indiana as a state, maybe it's changing now, but why Indiana as a state has n- never really funded tourism to the level uh, of certainly neighboring states. I mean, you know, their budgets dwarf Indiana. Why, why that, that that has been the case? I don't know, uh, but you're absolutely right. I want to thank you. I mean, I, going back to my years in tourism and even before, I know you've always been a big supporter of the Indiana tourism industry, the Indianapolis tourism industry, and understanding the importance of that. So I do appreciate all you've done to to promote the industry and some of our industry leaders, like I know Lorelai Weimer was on the the podcast right, a few yeah. months ago and Elaine Beadle, Mark Newman's been on. But, you know, I think it's just Indiana for a time didn't necessarily have the, the overall budget to support a state tourism office. 
Now we're in a lot better fiscal shape than we might have been 10 or 15 years ago. But one of the things that I always thought was interesting when I worked for the the Office of Tourism, which is now the Destination Development Corporation, is, you know, you'd hear a lot of, well, just just be pure Michigan. Just do what pure Michigan does. <laughs> and, you know, yes, that would be nice. Can I have the 35 or $40 million a year that pure Michigan gets and Tim Allen to do our commercials? <laughs> but I think Elaine Beadle, as she has built up the new Indiana Destination Development Corporation, has really started uh, making a compelling case as to why tourism investment is important for the state. And I think a lot of studies will show you that if a if a state or a location, a community is going to be a good place to live and work, it's got to be a good place to visit as well. And that tourism in many aspects can be sort of a front door for economic development and is a way a lot of CEOs or site selectors and decision makers are first interact with a community. So especially with some of the challenges we're having with workforce retention and training, mm-hmm anything that we can do to, to promote the tourism industry, the cultural inventory that Indiana has, I think will pay dividends for the state down the line. Talk a little bit more about that whole quality of place uh, issue and talent attraction and, and retention. You know, I think you can certainly make the argument that economic development is a different game today. You know, y- years ago, it used to be, hey, it's, it's, it's cheap to do business here, come, come mm-hmm. locate here. Now so much is focused on is this a good place to live, work, and play, and and those amenities like a White River State Park. How critical, in your view, is a venue like like White River State Park to that talent uh, attraction and retention equation? I mean, I think it's absolutely vital. I think it's kind of the the secret sauce that Indiana has. I mean, at the end of the day, you're right. We have a great tax environment for businesses. We have a great regulatory environment for businesses. But in a lot of respects, those can just end up being numbers on a spreadsheet. A business has to hire talented people and has to attract talented people. And with how dispersed a workforce can be these days, not everyone needs to come to a physical structure, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week. So we need to also show people why we're a great place to to move or relocate or stay. And if you look like if you look at a cultural amenity like White River State Park, those are the exact sort of things that a workforce is looking for. They need to know that they have things to do when they're not working. And I think with the Elanco deal in particular, you know, if it wasn't for the proximity to the park and then the the extension that we're going to go through, that'll basically serve as the front lawn of the Elanco headquarters. You know, I'm not 100 percent sure that that deal necessarily gets done. So it's it's a, a critical driver for a lot of these types of, of economic partnerships. Want to talk about that Elanco project and, and what is really a transformation <laughs> that is taking place and will take place uh, the, on the near west side of Indianapolis for the first time. Really, downtown jumps across the the uh, White River and a lot of projects going on there. But if you would, Jake, the economic impact, because I think you talk about that talent attraction piece, but from an economic standpoint in terms of the impact that uh, that the park brings to Indianapolis and to Indiana, how significant? It is significant. I mean, in the millions of tens of millions of dollars a year, um, I don't have an, an updated economic study. I know many of the individual attractions do, but if you look at I mean, the zoo on itself is probably the most visited attraction in central Indiana, if not uh, the entire state. Victory Field, hundreds of thousands of visitors throughout the year. Our concert venue, you know, we did 52 shows last year times 
you know, 6,000 tickets a show times however many beers uh, per <laughs> show those those thirsty concert goers had. So, I mean, it's it's definitely in the millions of dollars. And then also, you know, there's a lot of downstream benefit too when you talk about economic impact and tourism because it's not just the visitors spending an attraction. It's then, you know, those attractions are employing people who are living in communities or they're, they're bringing guests who... You know, you could see the JW Marriott picture in my background here um, that's filling room nights. So and the nice thing about tourism is a lot of the dollars that are generated through the tourism industry do stay in the state of Indiana because they, again, go to pay salaries and and things like that. Well, you talk about music because White River State Park has become really a legitimate music venue in, in central Indiana. Talk about uh, the uh, TCU, the the uh, amphitheater there. I know you're getting ready to release some uh, your schedule for 2023. How how successful a venture has that been? Because it was just it was what the lawn at White River State Park, mm-hmm. I think you know initially. But now, I, I mean, people really like that as a music venue. Yeah, I mean, last season, the 2022 concert season was the first full season we had at the new venue at the TCU Amphitheater. We did 52 shows, which when it was just the lawn, what we would do is we would basically rent a stage and set it up for the summer. We had max maybe 20 shows a season. There were no artist amenities. And I mean, it was a nice venue and it it absolutely established the park as a concert venue. But having the TCU Amphitheater, White River State Park has been a complete game changer for the park, but also just for the Indianapolis music scene. And that's kind of an undertold story about our city, I think. For as as well known as we're known for sports and for hosting large events, we're also a fantastic uh, music community. And there's a lot of smaller venues. There's live music at a lot of bars. You obviously have the the big players like Ruoff or Gamebridge or Lucas Oil. But our TCU Amphitheater fills a niche that the city didn't have before for the size and because it's new and because it's world class, we're also able to attract some artists that might be uh, too big to normally play a 6,500 seat facility. I mean, we had Zach Bryan last year, who's, a, who's just blown up uh, tremendously over the last couple of years. We had Robert Plant, who's obviously a legend, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin lead singer, ZZ Top, uh, Billy Strings, and on and on. And not only do the do the concert goers rave about the concert experience, but you also hear from, you know, through management and so forth from the artists who have been really impressed with our venue and who are sort of telling their colleagues, hey, if you get a chance to play that new outdoor venue in Indianapolis, you should definitely add it to your concert season. So that's really been a benefit to to the city. Yeah, you mentioned Indianapolis as a music city. Uh, I know there was a music initiative uh, that certainly mm-hmm. Mike Huber, who used to be the head of the the Indie Chamber, now down at down at IU. He was a big. Uh, he's a musician himself, and he he he, uh, he uh, was really championing that. And you looking at places like Nashville, mu- music is such a part, obviously, of that that community. Not that Indianapolis would necessarily be in mm-hmm. Nashville, but do you feel that we've got the uh, kind of the bones to to create a a music scene that can be uh, substantial? I think we do. Absolutely. I think we have, again, we have those rooms between our place, uh, the Marat Center is another great one. And then, you know, smaller places like the Chatterbox on Mass Ave or the Vogue up at, in Broad Ripple and even broadening, 
you know, that <clears throat> the sphere we're looking at going down to Bloomington and just the, um, you know, how great the Jacob School of Music is and what that has, you know, the talent that that turns out. I think Indianapolis and Central Indiana already does have uh, a great tradition of of live music. We may not always think about ourselves that way, but the, the opportunity definitely exists both from a, uh, you know, a fan standpoint, but then also some of the local talent that the the area produces. Things changing, expansion at the White River State Park, also dramatic change on the city's near west side with a number of major projects. We'll talk about that and much more when the Business and Beyond podcast continues with White River State Park Executive Director Jake Oakman. Stay with us. At PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street Bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank. See how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group, Bank. All rights reserved. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week is Jake Oakman, the executive director of White River State Park here in downtown Indianapolis, uh, one of the uh, true magnets for tourism and uh, a visitor destination for Indianapolis. Jake, so much has changed at White River State Park from a growth standpoint, and that's going to continue. In our first half, you talked about the Elanco project, which again, Mm -hmm. We use that word transformational, I think, probably too much, but it is a project that truly is huge from a number of viewpoints. Uh, It's going to be right along the White River, on the west side of the river, with a view of downtown Indianapolis, and really connects to, literally connects to White River State Park, right? And as you mentioned, the park is really an integral part of that whole campus development at Elanco. Absolutely. I know when when Elanco was looking to to move here and build their global headquarters here, having a amenity like White River State Park essentially adjacent to it uh, was very important in their decision-making. And I know Governor Holcomb has had a desire for several years to to expand the park. I mean, he's a big believer in in our DNR and, and what parks and outdoor spaces can provide. And he's really wanted to expand the park uh, in that sort of southern West Bank's south of the park uh, strip of land that we'll get. So the as part of the transformation of the former GM stamping plant, the, about 12 acres of that from the river to essentially Alanco's front door and from Washington Street to Oliver Street um, essentially becomes an extension of White River State Park. So we're currently in the in the design and planning stages for what that's going to look like. Um, it's going to be exciting because I think it's it's going to be one of the, you know, we're called White River State Park, but we're not a state park in the sense of a brown county. And we're, you can't really do much on the White River right now. So it's sort of uh, the new extension. We're going to be able to activate parts of the river. And there just aren't many cities in the state or in the country that have a, a huge undeveloped hunk of land basically right adjacent to downtown 
like we do. So it certainly is transformational. And when you talk about the projects that might go on on the other side of the river with um, the soccer stadium and things of that nature, that whole corridor along the White River down to the new golf facility, it's really going to look different in the next five to 10 years. And I think that's exciting for the future of the cities and obviously for the future of our park. Yeah, I think for so many years, communities kind of turned their backs on on the rivers and didn't pay much attention to them. But if you look around the state, you look in Fort Wayne, they're putting tens of millions of dollars into the riverfront uh, redevelopment there, and which is uh, going great guns. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, other places, Terre Haute, the Wabash River, and, and different places, uh, so too here on the White River. Can you give us a kind of a sneak peek or a hint at maybe some of the things that might might come to fruition when it comes to activating activity on the White River. Yeah, I know. And I mean, first off, billions of dollars, billions with a B of dollars have been put into cleaning up and making the the river a lot safer for activation over the last decade plus. And I think when you look at what what is going on up in Hamilton County and and there's a there's a group between Hamilton County and Marion County that is focused on developing and activating the White River for recreational purposes. So when we look at the land that we're going to get and how it's going to interact with the river, we're thinking about things like something as simple as a kayak launch up to having structures that kind of go into the river as sort of lookout points and, and Instagrammable spots and things of that nature. So we're really exploring all possibilities. And again, Governor Holcomb has a strong desire to to see recreation activity on the White River and believes in the the possibilities of what the river could be. So from a, a river standpoint, we're definitely looking at ways to get people engaging with the with the waterway. And then also throughout the rest of the park, just looking at opportunities and looking at amenities that would would be at the same level of what we already have in our portfolio with the Idle Jorg, the State Museum, Victory Field, the Amphitheater, the Zoo, uh, the NCAA headquarters. Um, so it's definitely an exciting time. As you look at at other big projects on the drawing board, you mentioned uh, Alanco, you mentioned activation of the, of the White River, and also a soccer, not only soccer stadium, but a pretty amb- very ambitious project by Ursal Ozdemir, the owner of the Indy 11, a soccer stadium, but really a development that goes beyond that in terms mm-hmm. of residential retail and some other things. I'm not exactly sure at this point, you know, it's certainly been announced but w- where things stand, but what kind of impact in your view can that stadium ha- have and that development have, especially as you mix it in with the other things going on there on the uh, the West side? Yeah. I mean, I think, again, I think it could have tremendous impact and it adds to the city's assets of as far as sports venues go. The Indy 11 has obviously grabbed a hold of a fan base in this city and it's been successful. And I, I think there's ambition to, I don't know too much about professional soccer. I'm more of a baseball guy, but uh, my understanding is there's an ambition to see the Indy 11 elevate to to the top soccer league in the country. And I'm sure having a, a stadium at that level would certainly help their cause. But if you look at what Ursaul wants to develop over there with the mixed use, with the retail, with the with the apartments, as well as the stadium, again, it just plays perfectly into what the what the park can offer. I like to sort of, it's kind of a joke in the office because I'm it's sort of cheesy, but I always talk about White River State Park as being Indianapolis's backyard, especially for those people who live in apartments or live nearby that yeah. don't necessarily have green space of their own. So 
you know, when I was growing up, the backyard is where you went to play. It's where you went to get away from your parents, from, you know, having to empty the dishwasher or whatever. So the more people who, the more apartments that get built, you know, you're just going to have more residents living closer to the park and they're going to, they're going to come over and, and use our green spaces is, is that place to, to sort of get away, to walk the dog, to go for a run. So it has a tremendous impact. As you look at overall development on that side of the river on the near west side of downtown, how does uh, you know IUPUI play in into that as well? And uh, which will be IU Indianapolis. I know it's changing, evolving, but Purdue has big plans there. IU big plans there. Sixteen Tech. There are those big developments that are not very far away. Does it all kind mm-hmm. of fit into the same kind of puzzle? Yeah, I think it absolutely does because White River State Park adds that, again, that special sauce that um, individually those institutions don't necessarily have the space to to offer or that's just not what they're in the business of doing. So when you look at an IUPUI, it's sort of been interesting that will now be split, but the growth of IUPUI was sort of parallel to the growth of the park. And I know the the Indiana University leadership was was very interested in how the park would develop and grow. We have a, the, the IU president actually still has a direct appointee to our board. So there's that relationship with the university. Um, NIFS, the National Institute of Fitness and Sport, is technically now part of the IUPUI campus, but that was originally part of the White River State Park campus. And I'm on that board, which kind of makes me laugh that I'm on the board of a national fitness organization, but Thankfully, this is a podcast and your listeners won't see why that's pretty funny. But um, that relationship with IU and with IUPUI has been, you know, hand in glove with the park from the beginning. So it'll be exciting to see how the the split or, or whatever we're calling it with that IUPUI is going through will will impact this area. But I think it'll just enhance what's already a great institution. What what really drives business, uh, Jake, for for you for White River State Park? Uh, obviously, these are are, are tourism destinations uh, and uh, things where people go to enjoy themselves. But it very much is a business competitive. Yeah. You're competing for for those uh, those I guess discretionary consumer dollars, if you will. How, how does business look? A lot of you know some concerns about uh, maybe a recession, maybe a soft recession, whatever the case might be. But uh, how do things look from a business standpoint? What really drives your business there at White River State Park? Things so far, um, so far, so good. I think 2022 was sort of the first the first year back, so to speak, from the COVID pandemic. I think a lot of the individual attractions had their first comparable years to 2019, which was a pretty successful year overall in the tourism world. Our IMAX theater, which is home to the state's largest movie screen, that's also another asset for White River State Park. Uh, we had a successful year with some of the bigger bigger releases coming out and people were going back to the movies. So, so far the business is good. Obviously, you know, we're, we're not like any other business that would be subject to national headwinds when it comes to the economy. Luckily, Indiana is in a really good space, uh, economically speaking, because of the leadership of Governor Holcomb and some of our other state leaders. And as far as the business drivers for us, we are this collection of individual attractions and they have their own business models and business plans and they they sort of run themselves. For the park itself, the TCU Amphitheater um, is a big revenue driver for us. A parking garage, the underground parking garage is one of our revenue generators. And the IMAX Theater, again, home to the state's largest movie screen, 
those are probably our three biggest revenue generators. And then we do rent all the um, all the outdoor event spaces are available for rentals. So Military Park, for instance, you know, we'll host Pride Fest, we host wine tastings, we host big cultural festivals and and activities, and those are revenue. That's a, a revenue generator as well. What's what's next? What's the next big thing, uh, Jake? You've talked about a number of things uh, on your plate there, but as you look at 2023, maybe into next year, what's uh, what's the focus going to be at, at White River State Park? The biggest focus uh, for this year for us will be the design of the expansion that we're getting. We're really starting to roll up our sleeves and deciding what that's going to look like. I think I'm not going to break any news, but I'm sort of excited about the direction we're going for that. And I think there'll be some things that really grab a lot of attention with uh, in central Indiana for that. And then it's just, you know, it's kind of business as usual, which is busy, uh, especially in December. We're we're starting to announce concerts for the uh, for the TCU Amphitheater. I think we've announced about a dozen so far. When it's all said and done, we'll be close to about 40 uh, shows for the concert season. And there's some at the IMAX, there's some big movies coming out. I'm a movie buff. So, uh, you know, having the new Indiana Jones movie, the new John Wick movie, the next Mission Impossible film all coming to our, our IMAX theater uh, this summer is, is pretty exciting. When can we expect, uh, from a timeline standpoint, when can we expect some details maybe on on the expansion and, and folks be able to get a, a little sense of what you're looking at? I think this calendar year will be, in, and I know you know we're in January, so I'm giving myself a 12-month uh, runway there, but this calendar year, I think we'll be in a, in a position to have some decisions made and, and start making some, some things public. Jake Oakman, the Executive Director of White River State Park. Jake, it's been a treat uh, catching up with you. Congratulations on the success. I know uh, we will be watching, many others will, for what's next at White River State Park. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right. And thank you for joining us on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. It is a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download all of our episodes and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.